0: Good morning, church. My name is Nick Scholes. I am, um, just need to make sure that this is sounding okay. Uh, my name is Nick Scholes. I am on the board of trustees here at church, and I get the opportunity to bring the word this morning, which I'm stoked about, excited, very excited about. But, um, and here's why I'm excited I'm excited because I came to church this morning with an expectation for a move of God. And uh, I have to confess that there's a lot of times that I come to church without that expectation. I come to church thinking that I'm just gonna kinda go through the, um, the motions of going to church. And there was a song that I was listening to while I was preparing my sermon. Uh, and it challenged me on not just going through the motions that I hope that if you didn't get something out of praise this morning, that you will get something out of the word and you're coming this morning with an expectation for a move of God in your life. That's what, that's what this goal is this morning. And I'm hoping that it's going to come through the book of Jonah. Uh, Jonah is one of the minor prophets in the Old Testament. Minor not because it is uh, any less important, but there's 12 of them. They start at the end of Daniel, and they finish the Old Testament with Malachi. And uh, they are minor because they're shorter in nature, uh, but not minor because of the content that which, which is within them. And so we're going to go through the book of Jonah this morning, and I... I I've read it enough, I know you guys haven't been reading it, but I have been reading it and soaking it in, and it's just welling up inside of me, I can't wait, it feels like it's going to burst out of me right now, so let's let it burst, sound good? Um, I left my Bible down there and I'd like to read out of it, so if you have your Bible, please turn to Jonah chapter 1, it's going to be projected as well. I told you where it was, so that means that I should be able to find it, right? I hope. Here we go. There we go. Jonah chapter 1. I'm going to read this entire thing and it's going to be a little bit long. uh, So sit back, relax, kind of soak it in as you go. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. For their evil has come up uh, up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord. O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for for your word, that it is truth into our lives. That when we read your word, whether it's a short passage or a long passage, it comes alive because it is a truth that provides guidance. It is the truth that provides the rock through which we stand on, Lord. And so I pray that this morning, that your truth would come forth out of my mouth, that it would be less of me, less of my words, and more of your, an abundance of your words this morning. I thank you Lord for this opportunity. I pray Lord that you would speak into the hearts and lives of every single one of us. We praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Ah, uh, so Jonah is about a fish, right? Or about a guy who gets swallowed by a fish and lives in there for fi- lives in the fish for 3 days. You know, if you have been a Christian for many years, or maybe you've never stepped foot into a church, you've probably heard about Jonah and the whale, right? It's just kind of one of those uh, crazy stories that, that are found in the Bible. But what if I told you that Jonah is not at all about a fish or a big fish? And what if I told you that, yeah, Nick, you're right. I've been in church for a long time, though, so I know that Jonah's not about a fish. Jonah is about fleeing from God. Like Jonah did. And you might be right. He flees from God. And we're going to talk about that this morning. But it wasn't until I was wrestling with this verse in this entire chapter that my wife said, hey, you need to look at this a little differently. And if you're married, you probably know that your wife says that to you on a regular basis. Hey, you need to look at this a little differently. And she said that. And so we started to dig in. And I think Jonah gets a bad rap. I feel like he's kind of the sacrificial lamb for the Bible in terms of fleeing from God. I mean, listen to the verse. He does flee. It says in chapter, in verse three, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He was absolutely fleeing. But I wonder if it wasn't that he was just fleeing. See, I wonder if he was just scared. He wasn't really running, just scared to confront his calling. Maybe Jonah struggled with authority and leadership. He didn't want to be told what to do, so he he wanted to be in control. Maybe he was a rebel and actually experienced a bit of a high in rebelling against God. Maybe he was afraid God would not come through, fulfill, or provide what he called him to do so he didn't jump in because he was afraid that God maybe wouldn't provide. Maybe he was just broken and anxious and thought if he hid from his responsibilities, the responsibilities or the calling would go away. Maybe he was easily swayed by Satan, believing a new destination was an easier journey. Maybe he was an impulsive person, wanted to get a, take a dangerous trip. We have some of those. Maybe he didn't believe he was ready for the call because he didn't understand the Bible or he needed to read the Bible more. I know, none of us have ever said that in this room. Maybe his current life fortunes afforded him the opportunity to do what he wanted and therefore he didn't really need God. And although it doesn't really say which one of these Jonah really was, I've come to see Jonah through a much different light while studying his life. A life of fear, desperation, resignation, redemption, anger, confusion, and ultimately, just like me. And dare I say, just like you. And yet, you see, many theologians actually call Jonah a type of Christ, a Christ-like figure. Right? He was in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights with no intention on really probably ever living. And yet, then he was resurrected. Does that sound familiar? In Matthew 12, verse 40, it says, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Christ uses Jonah as an example for exactly what's going to happen to him. Isn't that amazing? Jonah relates perfectly to us, yet he also relates perfectly to who Christ is going to be. But before before I get too excited, I wanna take a step back, right? You see, the reason I mentioned all of those maybes is because you have to see yourself in Jonah this morning for you to get anything out of this. Because if you see Jonah as the guy who swallowed the big fish, then you've missed the boat. Sorry for the bad pun. You've missed the boat. You literally, or as my youngest daughter likes to say, legitimately, legit and literally together, have to see yourself in the life of Jonah, And if you don't, that's okay. But I challenge you this morning to work at it as we go through this, right? We want a move of God in our lives. So while you're sitting there, you have to start to put yourself in Jonah's shoes. And I'm gonna try to help you with that along the way, but it has to be your goal this morning. Because if we do that, we're gonna start to see a move like we're talking about a move of God in Syracuse, New York. That's what we wanna see, right? Amen, hallelujah. So it helps for us to understand who this man named Jonah actually is. And I want to clear up some things before we move any further. Jonah was an actual historical figure. In case you were thinking that this might be some story that is made up in the Bible for us to kind of get some, some, thing, some good things out of it, Jonah is an actual historical figure. And in 2 Kings 14, 24 through 25, it actually talks about Jonah. It says Jonah is the son of Amittai, just as it says in chapter one. He is a prophet. It is accounted for in historical books. So he's an historical figure. And although many theologians um, use Jonah as a type of satire, an intentional exaggeration uh, to get a point across, I'm not gonna delve into that right now. There's people that do that that, that are much smarter than me. I actually am kind of curious about that when uh, we, we do this type of stuff um, the amazing thing is we serve a God that can do crazy things, right? We serve a God that can do amazing things. He can, he can put someone in the belly of a whale, in the belly of a big fish, if he wants to. He's God. So I think that we need to recognize this book for exactly what it is, that, it is, that the purpose of this book is so clear. It is so clear. And as we go through it this morning, I think you're going to see that. So let's set the scene. And in case you forgot, remember, I want you to see yourself in Jonah this morning. Jonah's a prophet, and I, I don't mean that you're a prophet, or, or maybe you are, um, but I just put yourself in there. Jonah's a prophet under the reign of Jeroboam, an evil king, a king who did evil in the sight of the Lord. And God is about to send him into, to, into another situation where evil is present. So you'd think he'd be ready. He's under an evil king. He's about to be sent into an evil um an entire evil kingdom, and you think he'd be ready for this, right? What's Jonah doing? Jonah's minding his own business, grabbing some free Wi-Fi at Starbucks. That's what he's doing. He's hanging out. And you know what? If you're minding your own business, (laughs) just a little side note, be ready. Maybe the Lord's going to do something amazing in your life when you're just minding your own business. Because that's what happens with Jonah, this is just amazing to me. Um, God says to Jonah, get up. I want you to go to Nineveh. And I want you to prophesy and tell them they're all a bunch of sinners. And that, that their nation, is, their city is going to fall. <laughs> so you think that that might be easy, right? You think that it's like, okay, well, he, he's a prophet. So he's being asked to prophesy. He's in an evil kingdom going to an evil kingdom. another evil kingdom so I should see that this should be fairly easy for him but what God asked Jonah to do is outlandish it is crazy it is humongous and without God it can't be done so what does Jonah do he flees right like we said But I gotta explain a little bit about where he might be fleeing from. Not to, but from, before we go there. He is fleeing from Nineveh. God asked him to go to Nineveh. And you can see in in, uh, verse two, he is asked to go to Nineveh. What is Nineveh? Nineveh is the Assyrian capital. So the Assyrians are a people group at that time that are going against the Israelites. He's asked to go there and the city is known as a great city. The city has over 120,000 men that is recorded. So if you're thinking, um, okay, 120,000 men, then add, men, add women, add children, and you're probably looking at close to 400,000 people. It's a great city, but for all the wrong reasons. So, to give you a picture of this city, I want you to picture Las Vegas. I know, laugh, right? Because a pastor uh, takes steps away from the pulpit and uh, people up here asking them to picture Las Vegas, visualize Las Vegas. Sorry, we're in church, I know. But um, you can understand my reason for visualizing this. And I want you to picture Jonah walking down the strip of Las Vegas and he stops at the MGM Grand. And he says, oh, here's some scaffolding. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna run up that scaffolding. And I got this big megaphone and I'm gonna say, in the middle of the strip, the Strip, Las Vegas, there's people everywhere. He says, repent or the wrath of God will be upon you. <laughs> Does anyone else find that funny? Because I do. That's crazy. And let's be real. I would have ran and most of all of us would have ran as well. That's the reality. And if I even were to provide, you know, that's, that's kind of our modern day America translation. But Really? Um, the Assyrians are fighting against the northern kingdom of Israel. They are going after Israel. They want Israel dead. I can only really think of one country that wants United States to be wiped off the face of the earth, and that's North Korea. So think of going into Pyongyang. That is what our context is here. That's our context. And I want to give a quick note, and this is just a side, so I want you to jump out of the sermon for just a second. I think that this is important, and it's just something that you can store in your your pocket for a second. Nineveh is the modern-day Mosul, Iraq. Mosul is the second-largest city in all of Iraq, and it was, up until six years ago, home to the greatest number of Christians in all of Iraq. Over 125,000 Christians lived there. Six years ago, all of those Christians had to flee because of the Islamic State. Every single one of them. They actually, um, they either said you need to flee, or, or they fled, if they were caught, they would either be killed or had to convert to Islam or pay a tax. When I found that out as I was researching Nineveh, it broke my heart and convicted me of the fact that I'm not praying for Christians all around the world like I need to be, especially in the Middle East, especially in areas that are specific to our word of God. And you know who those Christians were? This is crazy. Those Christians are the Assyrians, the very people that Jonah was told to go and prophesy against. Okay, so we can, we can jump back in. And I wanna show a map of, of Tarshish and Nineveh here. And when you see it, um, there's Joppa. So Jonah's in Joppa and Nineveh is 555, uh, 550 miles, right? To the right, what is that, east? (laughs) And Tarshish is 2,500 miles west. 3,000 miles he goes. Now, Tarshish is through the Straits of Gibraltar on the southern tip of Spain. You can see it there. In early world, this is considered the end of the earth. The end of the earth. He's not just fleeing to some side town and hoping God doesn't find him. He's fleeing to the end of the earth. He's running as far away as he possibly can. And I wonder if he even thought he outsmarted God for just a second. Right, we do this all the time. We think that we can hide something from God or hide from God. Lord, let it never be. So he charters a boat and he goes all eight-year-old on us. He says, Mom and Dad, wake me up when we get there. Wake me me up when I get there. He wasn't worried about God coming after him after he made the decision to run. No worry. But how many of you know that God saw it all? You don't have to look any further than the next verse. Let's read it together to verse 4. We're just gonna read that first line. Ready, go. But the Lord went upon the sea. We'll say it one more time. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. Hit the brakes. The Lord hurled. Really? The Lord hurled a great wind? Are you telling me God's caused that wind? Are you telling me he caused such a storm? To be brewed up on the sea that without a complete turnaround that that boat would be capsized. Yes, I am. But here's the great news. When Christ came to this world and he established the new covenant, he made peace with his creation. But that doesn't mean he isn't in control over all. See, in Matthew, or I'm sorry, not Matthew, Romans 8.28, it says, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called called according to his purpose. But that doesn't imply all things are good. It implies he's going to work them together for our good. And unfortunately, I can't tell you what is God. I can't tell you what is Satan. I can't tell you what is our evil depravity. I can't tell you what is this world. I certainly wish I could. But what I can tell you is that as you draw closer to him through this and love him at As it says in Romans, his plan and purpose for your life will come into clarity. And with that, I fully understand that's kind of an empty answer. Nick, you're not answering the question here. The reality is we live in a broken world. We are broken. But he is not. He overcame the world. We didn't overcome it. He overcame it. And he works all things together for good. Not all things are good. He works together all things. So the storm is raging. And what is Jonah doing? He's scrolling through Instagram. He's taking pictures of his forehead and his shoulders on Snapchat. Because you don't take your face on Snapchat. I don't know if you guys know that, but you don't. All of you younger generation know that. He's reading about the perfect lives of everyone else on Facebook. I mean, it says he's sleeping, right? But it's kind of the same type of thing. He's sitting in the bottom of the boat, just chilling. The captain goes down to Jonah and says, cry out to your God or else we're gonna die. I mean, think of the Mediterranean. That picture was the Mediterranean Sea. And this boat is about to capsize. And Jonah slow plays it. He slow plays it. The boat is, must be going crazy. And he slow plays it. Ah, it's not a big deal. And I wonder if this has ever happened to you. As you were on your vo- voyage, had there been storms that rose up and yet you didn't totally know where they were from? You may have ignored them, hoping that they would go away. Assuming they really don't have anything to do with the call of God on your life or a specific thing that God has asked you to do. That he's asked you to reconnect with your brother and you haven't talked to him in 10 years. That he asked you to forgive your father after a really good sermon. That storm after storm after storm comes and you're like, why are these storms coming? You know you should leave a job, but you just decide to stay in it but storms keep coming you know like man why are all these storms coming really we don't know why the storms are coming but you see for Jonah he couldn't ignore it anymore why because they rolled dice yeah they they rolled dice It says casting lots. Casting lots is the modern-day version of rolling dice. And so you think, well, that's pretty arbitrary, Nick. How How did rolling dice tell that this was going to be Jonah? It says in Proverbs 16.33, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord, which basically means God control how those dice fell. And the dice fall, and it falls to Jonah. And boom, every head snapped. Every head snapped right to Jonah. You good for nothing. Bleep, 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 bleep. I'm sure that they didn't hold their tongue. They're about to die. The wind and the waves are out of control. They're furious, and they should have killed him. They had the full right to kill him. But what do they do? They ask him questions. They say, What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country? What people are you? Remember, they are interrogating him. They do not believe what he believes. He is a foreigner on their ship, okay? He is a foreigner. They don't believe the same God. And Jonah says, he stands up and says, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven. I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven. That's profound. Jonah gets immediately to the point. He doesn't pull any punches here. He recognizes exactly who God is in this situation. And that whether God is causing or allowing the storm, that doesn't matter. He's going to stand up and say, you know what? I'm going to own this. I'm owning this, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who actually, the, the rest of that verse says, who controls the wind in the sea. So he's implying, yes, it's, it's my God. Look what it says in verse 12. He said, so, what, what happens? It says, pick me up, or Jonah said this, he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. This is one of the things I want you to get this morning. You see, there was a specific reason I asked you to put yourself in Jonah's shoes. To attempt to see yourself in Jonah is to do exactly what many of you are already doing. You see, Jonah said, for I know it is because of me. For I know it's because of me. Jonah knew what he was doing. He knew that he was running, and although I certainly don't want everyone to raise their hands in this place, I want you to raise your hand in your heart right now, if you're running. If you know that you're running. And you know what? That doesn't necessarily mean that you're running to a horrible location. It doesn't. Tarshish wasn't a bad place. But, and you know what? Let, Let me even say this. He you might be running somewhere good. You might be doing amazing things for his kingdom. You might be functioning what seems like perfect, but you got storm after storm in life. Why? Because he has called you into something greater. Someone spoke something over your life and you've chosen to compartmentalize and put it to the side. Oh, you know what? Maybe that guy wasn't really speaking the truth. Maybe I didn't hear that right. Maybe God has spoken something to you and you're like, you know what? No, I'm gonna push that to the side. Or maybe you read something in the word of God and you're like, no, you know what? That's, uh, yeah, it was written 2000 years ago. Or yeah, that's good. I get some good things out of that sometimes. But just like Jonah, you know, you know you had that call. You've been called. So Jonah did what I believe makes a compelling argument as potentially the most bold action outside of Christ on the cross in the Bible. The only two that I can really think rival are Samson and Stephen, and you can read their accounts. Jonah says, "Throw me overboard! Throw me overboard!" Now he's in the Mediterranean Sea. The sea is uh, is crazy. There's no real belief that he is going to be alive. There's no way he thinks he's going to survive. And although it takes the sailors a little bit more time to to row, they think that they can outrow God, and, and they can't. They decide to throw him overboard. Not before, listen to this, not before they offered sacrifices to God and made vows to him. Isn't that amazing? That God uses a situation where he's just being thrown overboard to convert those sailors to him. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. And it says... He gets thrown overboard. God appointed, and I don't want you to let that word slip from your mind. I just want you to hold it right there. God appointed a large fish for Jonah, and he stays there three days and three nights. So Jonah gives up, right? Nope. He gets into the belly of a fish, and he prays. And although I don't have time to read it this morning, I would encourage you to go home and spend time reading Jonah chapter 2. It is a profound prayer. And I don't want you to read it once and I don't want you to read it twice. I want you to read it over and over again until the Lord and the Holy Spirit starts to reveal things to you. Because Jonah cried out, he confessed, he recognized God's sovereignty, he gave thanks, he sacrificed, and ultimately he accepted the salvation that God had for him. That's what that prayer lines out. And it might take you more than once to read it, to understand that. So at the beginning, I asked you to put yourself in Jonah's shoes. Now, Jonah's had a lot of different spots along this path that he is taking, right? I'm curious where you put yourself on that path. Are you getting ready for the boat? Knowing God has just called you to something magnificent. Magnificent. Something really hard that he can do, but you are ready to flee. Are you already on the boat? Knowing God's call over your life and God has thrown every storm your way and you're trying to ignore him, you're trying to slow play him like Jonah. Hoping they all just go away. Maybe you're in the belly of a big fish. Knowing that God has a plan, but completely paralyzed by your inaction and unable to move forward. Maybe you're already at Tarshish, hiding from God, or so you think. Wanting to stay away from the limelight. Hopefully sit quietly in the back, come in late, leave early, and not be seen in a foreign land. Maybe you're headed to Nineveh, getting ready to accept your calling. Do you know that when Jonah was spit up on dry land, it says Jonah was spit up on dry land, the very closest that Jonah could have been spit up in the Mediterranean to Nineveh is Antioch. The distance from Antioch to Nineveh is 20 to 30 days walking over a coastal range and through a desert. Modern day Syria and Iraq. You might be headed to Nineveh, but I promise you there will be things along your way. You might be headed to your calling, But there'll be ways, there'll be opportunities for your mind to say, nope, turning around. Nope, this is too hard. Nope, I ain't ready to stand up in front of Nineveh. Maybe you're already in Nineveh. Functioning in the the calling that God has for you. And you need to create a pipeline for people to get from Antioch to Nineveh. To disciple those along the way, you need to recognize the calling God has on their life. You need to help them recognize that. Maybe you're just minding your own business. You're sitting outside in Joppa, hoping that God never calls. Maybe not even sure there is a God and you're just chilling, not expecting anything real profound to happen in your life. I hope you found yourself in one of those areas. The amazing thing is you're not alone in those areas. Psalm 139 says, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. So then what? I'm on this journey, Nick. God knows where I'm at. You just told me he knows. What do I do next? The amazing thing is, in all these circumstances, just as Jonah provided a context through fleeing, which we can put ourselves in that fleeing, he provides a context for God's plan how to get back to your calling. Clarity about how to turn the boat. Clarity about what to do next if you're sitting in your pew and you say, Nick, here is where I'm at. I, I want to I wanna preface, or I want to say something here real quick too. I'm saying this word calling, and in Christianity, we do a really good job of saying calling implies you're going into full-time ministry. People say it all the time. You have a calling over your life. It's, I hate it. I hate it. Because we all have a calling on our lives. And you know what? That is regardless of age. I don't care if you're 10 years old sitting in here or if you're 90, you have a calling still on your life. You have to recognize that calling. It is so important. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, God reminds us that he promised something, oh, I'm sorry, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. So what can I learn from Jonah to turn towards my calling, Nick? Listen to the first sentence after the great fish vomits Jonah out of dry land. Jonah chapter three, verse one. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Second time. And maybe you think, Nick, I've already used up my second time. Well, there's a third, there's a fourth, there's a fifth. Peter said, are there seven times Christ? And Christ said, no, there's 70 times seven. Hyperbole meaning an infinite number of times. This is specific to, God, to, people, to Peter forgiving other people. But really, it's a way of God saying, it doesn't matter. Just come to me. I don't care how many times you've decided to run. Come back to me. And you see second chances come when you are willing to stand up in the middle of the boat and say, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, just as Jonah did in chapter one. And here's the amazing thing. This is so amazing. I love this. I love this reality. He wants you for that second chance and only you. God is in the people business. It doesn't take a Bible scholar to tell you that time and time again, God used people that had ran. God used people that had fleed from his presence, that had tried to hide from him. Think Adam and Eve, think Moses, think David, think Solomon, think Samson. Think these people that tried to run from God. He wants you to accomplish the task. And he cares more about you then he cares about that calling if he was only ever concerned with a call then he would have moved on from jonah you see jonah was potentially three thousand miles away from nina nineveh he could have grabbed another prophet he could have said you know what jerry i want you to go and prophesy to nineveh that could have been done god could have done that but he didn't what did our god do he used jonah he wanted Jonah to do it. You see, not because it had to be Jonah, because it had to be Jonah. I know that's really hard. It's hard for me to even say it, but not because it had to be Jonah, but it had to be Jonah. Jonah was the one. I know, I, I know in my life I've told people, you know what, God will accomplish his work regardless of me and you know what that might be true but that's not his desire his desire is to accomplish his purpose through you because he is a people god he is a loving god he loves you first above all else and here's a little bit of a challenge don't wait until you get to tarshish don't board the boat don't wait any longer in tarshish don't wait. Listen, please, do not wait until you leave those doors to decide to make this decision to turn back to your calling. Don't wait. You know what the psalmist said about that? He said, one thing I have asked the Lord that I will seek after that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. You see, the psalmist recognized that this is the place that I wanted to get my business done. This is the place where his spirit resides. This is the place when you are feeling a move of God in your life. When you are being called back to your calling, this is the place that it has to happen. Don't walk out of those doors because we all know that the second you walk out of this church, it's a whole lot easier to go back down into the cabin and fall asleep. It's a whole lot easier. So either move that captain out of the way and spin the wheel, tell them to throw you overboard or get on the gunwale of that boat and jump. Why? Because he's got a God of second chances. That was number one. Number two is turn the but Jonah to so Jonah. What, Nick? <laughs> In verse three of chapter one, it says he gets asked to do something, and he says, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. But you see, Jonah learned some things in the belly of a whale because in chapter three, verse three, right after he's asked and given a second time, he says, it says, so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. Did you catch that subtle difference? But Jonah, so Jonah. But Nick to so Nick. Put your name in there, but to so. We must begin to turn our butts to so. Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. Here's what it says he did. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out. He did what God had asked him. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. And guess what? God relented. God used Jonah to help an entire people group turn from their sin for a period of time and turn their eyes to him. Why? Because Jonah went from but to so. Not my will, but your will. Not my desires, your desires. Not my glory, your glory, Lord. The third one is to recognize his timing and his heart. Recognize his heart. So God and Jonah right off to the sunset, right? <laughs> For those of you that know the story, you know that's not the case at all. In fact, Jonah is furious that God has relented from what he told the Ninevites. Think about it. You'd be furious, Right? You're a prophet in a foreign country. You tell them that in 40 days, God's gonna come and destroy the, destroy the city. And he doesn't. <laughs> he relents. It sounded like a good thing until you're the prophet and you got no street cred anymore. You got nothing. You prophesy and it doesn't come true. So why should I listen to you? He says, what does Jonah say? Or no, what does God ask Jonah? God asked Jonah. You big mad? A couple people got that. If you're under 20, you probably got that. You big mad. You angry, Jonah? And Jonah says, yeah, I'm angry. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. And if you're, you're like, where's this plant coming, Nick? Uh, um, read chapter four. It doesn't, it's not necessarily pertinent to what we're doing right now. But um, he says you big mad. Yes. I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perish in a night. Listen to this. I ask you to recognize his heart. Here's his heart. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? You see, even the God of the Israelites, the God who wasn't supposed to care about anyone other than Israelites before Christ came to this earth, was caring about the Syrian people 800 years before Christ. His heart was toward their conversion. And the reason I said timing, 150 years later, Nineveh was destroyed. The prophecy came true. And it became a sanctuary for early Christians, just like I shared about with Mosul-Iraq. Nineveh was a sanctuary for early Christians for 2,000 years. Number four, and our final one, is to listen to the word of the Lord. You say, Nick, oh, that's fine, but I don't know. All these people talk about listening to God, and I've never heard God. It's simple, and you're not going to like this answer either if you've said that, but it's read your Bible. Amen. It's that simple. It It really is. And here's the amazing thing is that is everyone's call. Everyone's called to do that. And just so you know, it's in the Bible. I'm going to read these through really quick. These are going to just be rapid fire not even gonna tell you the the, um, scripture references. If you wanna go and ask me, you can. All scripture is God breathed by God and profitable for teaching. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. The word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Every time it says word, we're talking about the Bible. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. So here's the deal. These altars are open, as they are every Sunday. Sunday. And you're like, oh, this is the worst part of service. I hate this part. I don't know why all these people go down there. And you can choose to come down or you can do your business with God right in their seat. But I'd ask you this, what does it mean if you've never left your seat and you're coming down this morning? Are you throwing yourself out of the boat because you wanna run towards his call? Are you telling the captain of that ship turn around. I need to head back to Nineveh. That's what these altars are here for this morning. Not is some weird religious thing that we do at Word of Life or churches do. They're here for you to get real with finding your calling. They're here for you to say, yes, I know it's me. I know that I'm the one causing these storms. Or yes, God, I've, I've been trying to deal with these storms and I know that I'm running from something that you called me to 50 years ago or 50 minutes ago. And I need to get real with you. That's what this is for. So whether you go to someone to get prayer, pray, and this prayer team has been praying the entire service, or you come down and kneel, or you stand and worship in this area, it doesn't matter. It's a symbolic representation of you saying, I want to come into my calling. I want to stop running. And as you're doing that, I want you to remember those four things. He's a God of second chances. That you're going to start turning your butt to sow. That you desire to understand his heart and his timing because you want to listen to his word. That's what these altars are here this morning for. So as we sing this song, which is so pertinent to this, and we sang it to start, yes, I am who you say I am. I wasn't called to be a pastor. I was called to be a mighty warrior in that workplace. I was called to start discipling young people I was called to get involved in women's ministry. I was called to see something greater happen at Word of Life. I was called to be a part of this move of God in Syracuse, New York. I was called to come through the sanctuary or to come through those doors of the sanctuary every Sunday morning expectant for a move of God. I was called to read my word. That's your calling this morning. Those are your callings. And I challenge you to get real with yourself. When I ask you to raise that hand, if you raise the hand in your heart, get real with yourself right now because God is real with you. He will be real and he sees you right at where you are right now.